Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Hello, Freckled Foodie fam, from me and my maternity leave. I... Hope you guys are doing well. Um, This episode was obviously recorded before maternity leave, but as promised, I'm going to have an episode drop for you in June and then in July. And I say that without having recorded the July one yet right now. So I'm hoping that there will be one in July for you all. Um, This episode is definitely a heavy one. Um, We have on two registered nurses from the John Hopkins Hospital who both worked during the COVID-19 pandemic and are still working. Um, These are members of the Freckled Foodie family, which is incredible to me. Um, We have Mia Lacerna, who is an RN on the general medicine telemetry floor, and then Lizzie Snyder, who is an RN on the neurocritical care unit. So we talk about, A, just like their jobs in general and when they started and all of that, but then how their jobs transformed during COVID-19 and honestly, just how they handled everything because I'm in complete awe of them. Um, I say this multiple times throughout the episode, but I, I, I truly just cannot fathom what they experienced. And I, I can't relate because I'm, I, I really cannot imagine or believe what we've all experienced as a country or as a world, but specifically the frontline workers. So if you are listening and you are a frontline worker who has really saved our country, world, through this past 14 months. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you've done. I am in awe of you um, and your resilience and just the fact that you continue to show up every day. So without further ado, here are Mia and Lizzie. There is no closing to this episode because I don't have a life update for you all because I'm on maternity leave. I hope you all are doing well and I hope you enjoy this episode. Mia and Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us and the Frickled Foodie family. I'm very happy to have you guys. And you two are two of the first like people I've had on the show. Well, A, normally I don't have two people on the show, but B, that have been like connected through a Freckles Foodie family member via DM. So welcome. Thank Hi. you so much. Thank you for having us. I'm very excited. And obviously this 
is going to be a deep and potentially emotional episode. Um, so I really appreciate you guys taking the time to speak with me and the community and, you know, share your journeys and especially for the work that you have done over the past 15 months, like or 14 months, truly superheroes in this world. Um, I do want to kick off by asking, how would you define success? So Mia, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think my definition of success has definitely changed as a result of the pandemic. I know that's like a kind of a weird thing to say, but the past year, I think a lot of people have been through many different things. Um, and, you know, my definition of success was to be checking off boxes of like things that I accomplished. And, you know, did I do this or did, it, did I do that? Or does it match up to what other people are doing? And I think now my definition of success is just being like mentally happy, physically and emotionally happy, just surrounding yourself with a really good support system. Um, and I think if I have that, then I'm like winning at life. <laughs> um, I think, you know, you're going to have your job, you're going to have, you know, your finances are going to be in some kind of order, but those things come and go. But I think as long as you have, you know, your friends and family around you, you feel content with yourself, you're happy, you feel good every day. That's, you know, it's simple, but that'd be my definition. Absolutely. And Lizzie, what about you? Yeah, I definitely agree with Mia. You know, I think everybody's sort of like taking a mental check with themselves, like what, you know, actually is success, you know, in light of all these events. It's something actually my husband and I talk a lot about, you know, like what success looks for us, you know, not only like individually, but like together. And I think that we've kind of come up with this really abstract kind of hippie, maybe ideas, like stay with me here. But um, we sort of think that like, ultimately, like true peace and true like love like the most like absolute truth is sort of like what we're going for. So like, it, you know, very abstract, you know, like we have like not really a huge, like tangible idea of what that looks like. But if we are like pursuing those things, that's sort of what we think is success. I agree. And I also think you touched on a very important thing that I don't really discuss on here um, enough, but the concept of individual success and then success with your partner um, if you are with someone else. And similarly, I think when you have children, like success as a family, they're very different. They're different buckets um, and yeah. there are different ways to achieve them. And there are different things you need to focus on. And I've been so introspective recently of our relationship and like how we want to raise our family and all these things. And I know you're a new mom and that's just something that we have really been focusing on a lot as we are about to welcome our baby for everyone listening. I'm recording this before my maternity leaves. I'm still pregnant. Um, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. And I do think that it is a different bucket of success. And Mia, what you said, I totally agree. I think the pandemic put everything, you know, everyone's always like, oh, this year put everything in perspective. And it's easy to say that about so many things that happened, but I think this year truly did for so many really put things in perspective of what is important. How do I want to spend my time? Like, what do I want to be doing? What matters to me the most? And I think that happens when we face so much loss as a universe, as a like world, it wasn't just our country. Um, and you don't know what the next day brings. And this year has been so fucked up and hard and awful. But I also think that the one silver lining is maybe we all come out. Those of us who are coming out of it, which is morbid, but honest, we come out better people, hopefully. I don't know. Um, 
so obviously this episode is focused on the past year and COVID and being a frontline worker. So can you guys give us just like your individual story of a, what you do for your career in the frontline hospital working um, and then how you got there and then what that shifted to during COVID, if that changed. So I'm a fairly new nurse. I have been a nurse for almost two years, but when COVID started, I was only nurse for six months. So I was just getting my feet on the ground. Um, I was still very new to the career. Um, And my floor at our hospital was actually the first one to convert to a COVID unit. Um, The way that it was built, I think a couple of years ago, it was made to be a biocontainment unit. So we luckily had training since probably November or December of 2019 with anticipation of this happening. Um, So luckily at the hospital that we work at, we're pretty prepared. We're, you know, I wouldn't say like ahead of the game, but we had, you know, an idea of what was coming, at least on surface level. Did anyone know what was coming? Nobody did, but we had the prep that we, that we at least needed to get started. Um, So six months in, I was probably the newest nurse on the floor and they said, all right, we're going to, you know, flip our whole unit around. Um, And I think I, if I remember correctly, I was probably one of the first nurses to take one of the first COVID patients on our unit. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to take one for the team. Um, (laughs) And, you know, it was a challenge. Was I scared? Oh, definitely. Um, I remember walking to my first room, just like not touching anything. We had all the PPE on, but I just like wouldn't even, you know, go close to anything. I was, you know, nervous. Nobody knows what to expect. Um, And I think throughout the past year, we are still a COVID floor. So we're still in it. We're still, um, you know, with that patient population. And I think my experience as a nurse wouldn't have been the same throughout the past almost two years if I didn't have this experience. I think it forced me to learn very quickly. Um, if, you know, to mature very quickly, I had to take on positions that normally nurses wouldn't take on until a couple years in. Um, I just, you know, now I'm a charge nurse, now precepting new nurses. Um, I'm a resource nurse on the floor. So being two years in or almost two years in and having that experience, I think I wouldn't have gotten unless I went through the pandemic um, or I still am going through the pandemic. I think, you know, for us, that differs from the ICU is that we kind of take the patients that are a little more on the stable side um, when they come through the ED or come from other other hospitals. But with us, we really had to deal with patients that turned um, from good to bad in about you know minutes or hours. I think that was the biggest challenge and adjusting to that difficulty um, and you know having these rapid responses, which are basically um, patients that are declining really fast and you have to catch those signs and symptoms. Um, and we had, you know, three or four patients, sometimes five at a time. And, you know, compared to an ICU where they only have one or two, um, you know, those patients are very much sicker. Um, but having that patient load plus catching all those signs at the same time and working with your team, um, I think was very difficult. But I think now, you know, being 12 to 14 months in, we've kind of got it down. It's everyday life for me at work now. Um you know, I would never have thought that I would be, you know, doing this type of work um, and dealing with this type of pandemic six months in. But now here I am almost two years in and I think I'm rocking it. <laughs> I mean, it's truly incredible to just 
from someone who uh, cannot relate at all to what you guys are doing, just hearing you speak about how quickly you have to adapt, like even just things like that are things that I think so many of us forget where we envision the people in the medical field, like, okay, well, this is what they were trained for and they've been there for so long. But in reality, there are many new hires. Like this was a global pandemic. We could have never expected any of this to happen. I mean, you said you guys were starting to get prepared, but I still... A lot of us were like, oh, maybe we'll have to quarantine for two weeks. You know, like that was what we thought was going to happen. Now we look back and we're like, how naive were we? Um, but I, I I, truly just cannot wrap my mind around it. Like even just hearing you speak about it, it feels like the, it feels like listening to a Grey's Anatomy episode, which is so ridiculous to say. But honestly, it just feels so far fetched from my reality that I can only equate it to something like television almost. Um, And then Lizzie, what about you? So um, I have been a nurse now for about four years. So still new. I still consider myself like a a new growing nurse every single day, but a little bit of experience I would say underneath my belt. And I work in an ICU environment. So I work in, I think one of like five or six ICUs I can think of off the top of my head at, you know, our hospital. And so, you know, I think that Mia's unit turned before mine in the beginning and I was still working with our normal population, which is uh, neuro patients. So we get whole gamut, whole spectrum of patients from, um, you know, brain bleeds, strokes, meningitis, a lot of neurosurgery. So a lot of like spinal surgery, back surgery, that kind of thing, um, brain tumors. And then, you know, very quickly it was sort of like, we're getting all these warning messages, like we're going to get your unit ready to transition over. Um, it might happen in a couple weeks, you know, like prepare yourself sort of thing. And I wouldn't say there was like some panic involved, I think amongst the nurse uh, you know, like nurses on my floor, and we're all sort of like thinking like, what if we get exposed? You know, how do we handle that at home? Like, how do we go home? We're working with COVID patients and all that. Like everything was still very new. Like we had very little to no information, just like everybody else, how to handle this population or how to handle an exposure, especially in the work environment where you, it's inevitable. And then the whole like, are we going to have gowns? Are we going to have gloves? Are we, you know, like, what do you wear? That whole, like, what's the process? You know, like we didn't know. And so we were definitely faced with a lot of unknown. And then it did happen eventually. I believe that what happened was uh, nursing home in the region, unfortunately, had a lot of cases. Um, and that's sort of what t- tipped over our unit into our transition. So what happened was, you know, because we still, we didn't stop having neuro patients all of a sudden, we still had those patients. So our unit uh, transformed in half. So we had, I think about like three quarters of our unit. We have 25 beds. Um, I think 18 of the beds, 17 or 18 of the beds was transformed into a COVID unit. And we literally built walls and we, you know, sort of literally taped every single little crevice that could allow any sort of like negative pressure to um, escape. You know, it was sort of like overnight it happened. In one weekend it happened where these walls were constructed. The, our passageways, you know, were changed. Um, There's literally a wall in between the COVID unit and the non-COVID unit. And then how do you staff it? You know, how do you change our staffing to be like, oh, you know, Lizzie, you go work on COVID unit. Oh, you know, so-and-so you go work on the non-COVID unit. You know, everyone I think was sort of just like going into your shift being like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where you're going to be, who you're working with, what it's going to look like, you know, or what the procedure is. So um, definitely like really sort of scary at first. 
I mean, we were definitely prepped, you know, our unit representatives and administration helped us to know like, okay, this is what you wear going into the unit. Unfortunately, when you're on the COVID unit, you know, you can't eat, drink, all of that sort of thing. So, and then you have to like cycle out and take everything off. If you want to eat, drink, go to the bathroom, that kind of stuff. But basically my unit was transformed for two or three weeks, I believe. And then after that, the hospital, I think that our capacity for neuropatients was severely like strained at that point. And so they said, okay, we're going to transform maybe a different ICU. or We're going to work on our patient, you know, sort of uh, flow here, uh, transform the NCCU back to just neuropatients. Although we still had the capability to take two COVID patients. So our unit basically took two like neurocentric, like COVID patients, if that makes sense. Like they had a neuro diagnosis, but they were also COVID positive. So we had the capacity to take two patients at one time, and then we still dealt with our normal neuropopulation. Our staff at times were floated to other units for if staffing needs were needed elsewhere. So I was floated a couple of times to other ICUs, which was a little disorienting. You know, you're sort of like sent to a different, it sounds like, oh, Lizzie, you're you know, being sent to a different unit. Like, you know, you're still nursing, you know, like what's the big deal? But it's sort of like, you're being sent to someone else's house and, you know, being told to like do something there. You're like, I don't know where anything is. You know, I don't know where the bathroom is. I don't know. You know, it's sort of like the same thing, you know? So that was a little disorienting as well, having to fill in for other positions elsewhere, even though you're taking care of the same patient population, you know? But I, yeah, I would like to sort of soundboard off me of what Mia said, like, you know, taking care of a COVID patient is definitely different. It's different from taking care of a neuro patient, you know, it's, um, you're looking at different vitals, you're looking at different, you know, uh, signs in the patient for someone turning, you know, taking a bad turn or something like that. So you definitely, the, the aspects of our job changed. And I think that that was difficult for people to understand on the outside. Like, they're just like, oh, you, yeah, like you said, you signed up for this, you know, you, this is nursing, like, what are you talking about? What's different, you know, but it was significantly different. You're in a different place, you know, you're doing different procedures, you know, in a different way. And that was really hard to adjust to, for sure. I I can't imagine, but I also think that the unknown must have added so much on top of that. So not only are you then checking for new things, you're doing different procedures, but I do feel maybe this is incorrect from an outsider's perspective, especially in the beginning, still even, we didn't know any of, like, this was so new, Um for the general population, but even for those working in the hospital. And I think you both brought up a really interesting point that I'm curious about. Like, how did you both physically, when it comes to being so surrounded and exposed to COVID, because you can't not be exposed when you're working in the front lines like that. um, Physically, how did you deal with coming home after that, you know, what steps were like, what was that process? And I'm assuming maybe it's evolved. Um, And then honestly, mentally, like, I I mean, I think that that's something that hasn't been discussed enough, the mental impact that COVID will have on all of us, but especially those who were the front line and what you guys witnessed and what you went through. Like, can you kind of walk us through those two things of not that you are leaving anything at the door because you can't, but how you kind of, I guess, were transferring from your work to your personal life and what that looked like. Yeah. Lizzie, do you want to go first? <laughs> sure, sure. So um, so physically, so 
it was really funny. You know, you definitely looking back on it, it seems really ridiculous. All the things that we did, but we didn't know anything, you know, it's like we literally were treating ourselves and all of our possessions as if like there was a COVID particle on it that would infect you, you know, or your loved ones. So what I did in a lot of my coworkers did as well was when we arrived to our shift, we, you know, arrived in our scrubs or we changed there. We were very wary of the things that we brought in with us. So, and we were told, you know, like, don't bring, don't bring any drinks. You know, we brought in our badge. We changed our shoes. We brought maybe one pen. I, I actually don't even think that I brought in a pen. I don't, I can't really remember, but you, you can bet that you wiped down that pen after you left, you know? And I think that it just really bare minimum. And then I braided my hair, which was something that I didn't do pre-COVID. I braided my hair, made sure like, you know, no hair could come in contact with anything. And then, you know, when you enter the unit, there's a very specific procedure as to, there's like a little sort of like holding area and you put on all of your gear there, uh, a papper, which is sort of like a positive um, pressure, sort of like personal positive pressure, like helmet, I guess I could say a hood, you know, that, um, will sort of like prevent you from coming in contact with any COVID particles. Essentially, it sort of is um, co- comparable to like wearing an N95. Um, you could wear an N95 as well, but you always had to wear a face shield if you were an N95. So there was like a very specific order as to how you put all these things on. And then you were able to enter the unit. And when you exited the unit, like I said, a special procedure as well. There's like a very specific order as to like how you take all these things off again. And then at that point, I would wipe down my shoes. I would wipe down my badge. Um, I would wipe down the pen if I brought that. I can't even remember. And then you would exit and I would take everything off. I would leave my shoes in my locker. My coworkers and I stripped down of our locker room, which we'd never done before. You know, we would usually just wear our scrubs home. And then when I got home, I would take everything off. It doesn't even matter. Like it was my normal clothes. I would take everything off actually in the alleyway <laughs> before I entered my house. And I left my shoes at the door. And so I I entered my house completely naked. I didn't even touch my husband. I didn't touch my cats. I went upstairs, took a shower. And then I considered myself like COVID free, I guess you could say. And then I could touch things in my house or my, you know, my husband and everything. So that's sort of like what my sort of like procedure was. And then speaking about, I think you said like, how do you deal with the mental aspect of things? It was really hard. I think that in the beginning and like it sort of dawned on me that like us nurses were upping the ante at work, you know, um, everything seems very intense and it's sort of consuming your every thought, you know, especially even off work. And even though like I was an experienced nurse and like these things were, you know, not necessarily things that I hadn't seen before, but you know, like death or suffering and, you know, being separated from like loved ones and stuff. But it, it was sort of like all of the things that you would usually do to relieve your stress were taken away you know we probably didn't walk up as much as we you know used to outside we didn't go to the bar we didn't drink we you know you can't go out and have dinner with your coworkers. you can't go out after night shift and go to brunch afterwards and usually those things were like sort of like a really sort of um cathartic way to sort of shake off the last shift or something but that was taken away you couldn't even go to the gym you know you couldn't do those things that would normally relieve your stress. And that was really hard to grapple with. You know, it's, I felt like I had no outlet um, for the things that we were seeing or doing, which was really, really difficult. I, I think you brought up a really good point, which I, again, wouldn't have even thought of is 
yes, you've seen death and you've seen suffering and you've seen, you know, having to unfortunately be separated from families, although never at that mass amount. And then the part I've never thought of is that your guys is similar to the rest of like what you then put that on top of what the rest of us were experiencing of losing our normal lives. So losing your outlets, your normalcy, your human interaction, like all of those things that you're using to help you cope with what you're normally experiencing. So it's, it's so, it's like, so almost triple impactful almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like the perfect storm, you know, of things. And I think that, you know, thank God I do have a husband. Otherwise I think I literally would have gone insane. Um, you know, and many of my coworkers are single, you know, and, and live alone. And my heart just truly like went out to them. And and speaking also, I want to speak to Mia um, because she's such a new nurse and I was working with new nurses too. Like that's, you know, my coworkers. And I honestly, honest to God, I have no idea how they did it. You know, like you enter this new profession, people are telling you, you signed up for it, you know, and it's like, I didn't sign up for this without my stress relief or like without my family, without my friends. And I honestly truly don't know how Mia did it or how like all my, you know, young coworkers did it. Um, I truly, my heart goes out to them and, and kudos, you know, like Mia truly like thrived, you know, she became a resource nurse, a charge nurse and things. And, and that's huge to me, you know, dash more experience than she has. Yeah. Thanks Lizzie. That, that means a lot just coming from, you know, a nurse that's more experienced and has been in the profession a lot longer. Um, and like you said, I think, you know, as far as the whole like PPE thing and luckily our hospitals, it seems like both of our units did a really good job at, at providing for us. And I've had a lot of friends. I'm from New Jersey. I'm like you, Cameron. And, um, I have had friends that worked in the New Jersey, New York hospitals that their experiences were far different than ours. Um, and I remember like my best friend, Megan, shout out to her. She's a nurse, um, in Jersey city and just talking to her about everything that she went through, um, and just how they would wear like garbage bags as gowns. And, you know, luckily for us, like we had that, um, but that fear, I think between us and all the nurses in the country and globally everywhere, that fear we shared was the same, you know, you could wear as much as you could, you could double up on your gloves. You could, you know, wear a face shield, wear an N95, wear a papper. But, you know, I think the hardest thing about that was it, was it ever enough? I think that was the fear that I had, especially now until honestly, I got vaccinated. I think that fear was there. I didn't remember not, I didn't see my family from Christmas until, or January until June. I remember surprising them for the first time when I was able to go home, when our unit kind of took a little break from it. Um, But I think, um, I don't know if Lizzie did the same thing or where her family is or anybody's family, but you, you know, you get tested before you go home and, you know, that's the family that you don't see often and the friends that you don't see often. But luckily I lived with, two other nurses. So we kind of set rules for our house in terms of like, you know, this, these are the things we can and can't do. These are the things like we have to clean off before we come in and um, shoes have to stay out. We had them like the same way Lizzie had them in like a little alleyway and hung up our backpacks, hung up our shoes. And same thing with her when she got to work, everything went in the locker room. Um, I think my trunk is still filled with all like COVID sneakers and COVID scrubs and stuff like that. Um, and it still stands this, until this day. I think it'll probably be something that is going to be um, like that for a while until this thing is fully, I don't think I'll ever be over, but, you know, simmer down a little bit. But um, yeah, I think 
that was, you know, as far as being nervous and being scared going home, luckily I had a different living situation. I had, I was living with nurses that were also exposed to it. So we kind of were like, well, if we're all exposed to it, you know, we can kind of just be in this house together. Um, but I think definitely not being able to see my family for half the year was very tough. And I think that trickled into the whole mental aspect of it um, because you kept your circle so small. I remember I only really saw other nurses and as you know, great as that was to have that support system, it got tough because you, all you ended up talking about was COVID. You know, these are your COVID patients that you saw that day and this is what you dealt with. And it was hard, but I think you also had like solace in it that you were able to all talk about it and be there for each other because, you know, from the outside looking in it, unless you really worked in that field, it's hard to, to see that and, you know, see those experiences um, and like Lizzie said, just not being able to do things that would other be otherwise be stress relieving. Um, I think that was super tough. Um, some, but once it got better and, you know, this summer, last summer, I was able to, you know, do six miles a day, just walking outside with a mask on. And like, would I ever do that if COVID didn't happen? Probably not. Um, so there was, you know, there's also always a silver lining to these things. Um, but mentally, I think it, it was tough. It still is. I think, you know, I wasn't really prepared as a new nurse. I didn't know what was coming. I think um, I had only a select few skills that I was actually good at. And then not only having to do that, but deal with, you know, the emotional, mental, physical toll of it and adjusting to a totally different po- patient population, um, adjusting to those different challenges where nobody really knew what they were doing. So you were kind of all new to this, you know, new patient population, new environment. I think that was super tough, but like I said before, it made me super strong. I don't think I would be half the nurse I am now if I didn't go through this. Um, And that goes out to all new nurses now. I mean, they're still starting. I have new nurses on my floor that are starting as COVID nurses. And I'm like, you know, props to you because at least I had six months. (laughs) These nurses are just going into it, you know, and that, that takes a lot of strength, takes a lot of resilience. I think that term has gotten thrown around a lot in the healthcare field is just being resilient, being as strong as you can be. And, you know, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days, but you know, for some reason, I guess we all came to nursing because we all show up the next day, no matter what happens, we're always there. And we know, you know, whether it's for our patients, for our friends, our family, you know, you get for your coworkers because they're the only ones that are really going to understand what you're going through or just, you know, nurses in general. So yeah, I guess that's my spiel on (laughs) that whole aspect. No, I mean, it's you guys, you said it perfectly. It's like you end up spending time with other healthcare workers, nurses specifically. And I know that I'm sure it's difficult because then all you're talking about is COVID, but at the same time, they're honestly the only ones that can relate to what you're going through. Because even as I'm listening to this, it's mind boggling to me. I cannot imagine, I cannot fathom, like I have so much respect and appreciation and gratitude for everything you've done, but I can't relate whatsoever. And I I can only imagine, and this isn't something we have to get into because it's obviously very personal, but I would think that would be really difficult for relationships, whether it's friendships, like um, partners, family, because they can't relate if they're not involved and they're not experiencing and seeing everything that you guys are. And on that note, I'm curious, you know, I... I'm a big proponent of taking COVID seriously. I am obviously pro-vaccination and I have been trying to encourage my community to do this for the past 14 plus months. But what would you guys, if there was something that you wish that non-healthcare workers could know or 
honestly just understand or like just based on your experience, is there something that you wish you could get across to the people who didn't experience what you guys have? Oh yeah, for sure. I would say, um, as nurses, we see you, (laughs) we see the Instagram stories, we see the Snapchats, we see the crowded bars. Um, you know, whatever helps your mental state in terms of, you know, feeling happy. And I am such a strong supporter of, but, you know, just remember who's behind the scenes. I think that's one thing that, you know, me and my coworkers still struggle with today is that our floor has been through so many peaks and troughs of going half and half COVID, going full COVID. This is probably, I think, our fifth or sixth turn of converting to COVID. And, you know, I get it. You know, it's it's summertime. It's getting warmer. Trust me, I'm out there too, you know, walking my dog and out there, you know, eating at outdoor restaurants. I think that's great. That makes me feel good. I just think be smart, you know, respect people, respect, you know, yourselves, because I think one thing that all nurses can attest to throughout the past year is that you never know what's going to happen. You could be the healthiest person. You could be 25 and you could have no past medical history. And we've seen the worst of it and it's still happening. And I think, you know, social media and the news, you know, do a good job at telling people how many you know, this is the amount of people that got vaccinated, which is amazing. And I'm so happy that we've got to that point. But that also doesn't mean that we could just lose all responsibility. Um, there's a lot of people like you, Cameron, that are pregnant and you, Lizzie, that are new moms that are still, you know, vulnerable. And there's people that are sick, elderly, grandparents, parents, like it's those things don't go away, COVID or not. Um, and I think that's super important just to remember, remember your, who you are and, you know, you could be healthy one day, but you never know, you know, this is including COVID and not, you know, what's going to happen. And that kind of goes to attest that whole every, you know, you never know what day, what today is going to bring, but just be smart, just be respectful, be responsible. Um, you know, I'm a strong proponent for the vaccine. I think it's better than nothing. And that's what I tell all people. I think, you know, a mask is great and it's gotten us this far, but you know, a vaccine, you know, could, could help, you know, it could, prevent you from getting sick. It could prevent you from getting others sick. And, you know, I'm not the FDA or the CDC, but I think, you know, as a COVID nurse, I got to have that standpoint. Yes. <laughs> and so that's my advice is just, you know, be smart. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. I think that the social media was the hardest part for me, mostly like seeing the like misinformation being spread on Facebook or you know, and sometimes maliciously, sometimes not maliciously, you know, like uh, people going at it, you know, about, you know, masking or vaccinations and stuff like that. But it, w- it was really hard to see. And especially in the beginning, especially like, you know, say about hydroxychloroquine, you know, and Trump and everything. And it was really difficult, I think, to see all of that and not necessarily like see people get it wrong, but writing something that may or may not be true, you know, and like, they don't know, you know, like they haven't seen what it's like in the hospital or, you know, people saying like masks, like don't make a difference, like masks are ridiculous, you know, and, and stuff like that. And it's like, here I am with this like dumb papper on, you know, and can't eat or drink for like six hours at a time, you know, or more. And yeah, it was kind of a slap in the face. I mean, there was definitely people I had to silence, you know, on, on social media. It was like a huge, like, you know, bait, you know, for me to just really go at it, you know, and it was just a waste of my time and energy. Um, I soon came to find out, you know, 
so social media was definitely the hardest part for me seeing like these things being spread and, and people that you really sort of like respected, you know, at one point, um, or you respected their opinions or thought that they were really people that really went, you know, for truth, you know, and, and sought that out. And you're just sort of like, how are you spreading these things or saying these things, you know, um, that was really difficult to face. And then I think like socially for us, at least for my husband and I, it was sort of like everything became like a personal game of risk calculating that risk, you know, okay, so I'm going to the grocery store, like, what is my risk? Yeah, I'm young, I'm healthy, but, you know, there is still that risk that, you know, like Mia said, you can come down, like, and just be, have a really fatal, you know, uh, infection. And we saw it for sure. And it was not lost on me. So yeah, every, every little thing became a personal calculation of risk. Who are you going to be, you know, interacting with? And I think that a lot of people didn't understand that what your own calculation may not be the same calculation somebody else comes with, comes up with and, or is considering. So I think that that was really hard for people to like wrap around, you know, or, or just respect. I think that I came to this, you know, huge place of compassion and respect because what might be okay for me might not be okay for the other person. And that is okay. You know, if someone else is being super extra protective to the point where, you know, they're bringing wipes everywhere they go, even though we know it's, you know, not necessarily spread through contact, like, that's okay. Like, I respect that. You know, they are, that's their own calculation of risk, those sorts of things. And I think that I had a huge compassion for people, you know, wherever they fell. I think that I can sort of have compassion for people that are wary of the vaccine, you know, for their own reasons, but ultimately I do think that it is the right decision and it became a huge decision for Alex and I because I was offered the vaccine while pregnant you know it's definitely offered in late December you know very early on and again you know we calculated the risk you know it's for me the calcul- the risk of getting COVID while pregnant was more than the risk of the vaccine's side effects you know whatever they might be you know who, who knew at that point and there's a lot of misinfor- misinformation spread. I mean, people came up to me and they were like, did you get the vaccine or you didn't get the automatically for some reason assumed that I didn't get the vaccine. And I was like, no, like I got it. And they just kind of like stopped and looked at me, you know, and I think that some people were in awe, you know, of like what I did or maybe thought I was like dumb, you know, which that's fine. They can think that. <laughs> and it was to me definitely, you know, an act of bravery maybe and an uh, act of like faith uh, for sure. But in my mind, like I'd already received the flu vaccine. I had already received the Tdap vaccine and for good reason, you know, um, like we, I haven't seen, you know, like whooping cough in my own life, but, um, you know, it's, we get that to protect our baby and that's what I wanted to do, you know? So I got the vaccine and we were fine. Thank God. But I think that it did kind of surprise people, you know, but for me and my husband like that, it just made sense. Absolutely. I feel the same way, especially when it comes to pregnancy and the vaccine. And I am obviously pro-vaccine. I do believe that, you know, you can decide what you want to do with your body. I will never tell someone that they have to get vaccinated. However, I think that there is a lot of judgment passed on pregnant women in the beginning, less right now. But I was the day they made pregnant women eligible in New York. I got an appointment. Um, so I was as early as I could have gotten it. And majority of the messages that flooded my DMs were, thank you so much for speaking up on this. Like, I'm considering it. You've made me feel more comfortable, all of this. But 
there were obviously messages telling me I was crazy. I was dumb. I hope I, I hope you didn't just make the base mistake of your baby's life. And I will never understand those type of people ever. Um, but I do think, like you said, it's all a personal game of calculating risk. And in the beginning, so many of us didn't know what was happening. And I was the designated grocery shopper of my family because my parents were high risk. I was living with them. And, and you know, I decided if I'm going to, it should just be one of us. Like one of us will do all of this. So I did all the shopping and we would do the whole wipe down of every single item. Like now looking back, it seems wild. But at the time, again, we had no idea. Um, but everything I really do believe now is a game of calculated risk. And then you put a baby into the mix and it's a whole new ball game. Um, something that my husband and I just discussed today. So <laughs> I think I, I, I really do have so much respect and appreciation for you both and for everyone who's in your field for the work that you always do, but specifically over these past 14 months, because as I've said many times in this episode, I cannot fathom what you all experienced truly, mentally, physically, everything in between. It's I'm in awe of you guys and you're the reason that any of us we're still able to do the things we want to do and are hopefully going to return to normalcy soon. Um, so thank you so, so much from me and everyone listening, because I know that they would love to support you and thank you as well. We have not talked about food whatsoever, other than the fact that you unfortunately weren't able to eat it on your units. Um, <laughs> but I do close by asking, what would be the three ways to your heart through food? I think it's food like a hug. So I would say a lot of my food choices are like warm. Um, you can never go wrong with a good carbonara. And um, that's my favorite and a glass of Merlot. Um, and I think, a, I don't know if this even counts as food, but a good scoop of ice cream or like frozen yogurt. Um, I think Definitely again, like you're all, yeah, <laughs> I think those are my three mixes. I would say um, whatever makes me feel like I'm getting a hug is probably what I would say my way through, through food. I love that. Lizzie, what about you? My mom's mac and cheese for sure is number one. She makes it from scratch every time. Like she makes a roux full on. It's amazing. Damn. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. Number two would be spaghetti with meat sauce. And a meat sauce, it's like, you know, it's been simmered for a little bit. Like give it some love. And then the third one is like roast chicken. I don't, there's just something about roast chicken. Like, you know, the really juicy, tender, like you can dress it up, spice it up, dress it down, whatever. Like I love roast chicken. I could go to town on a rotisserie chicken. The skin of a rotisserie chicken is heaven to me. And we have one of my favorite ones very nearby. And like, we'll come home. And before I'm even able to plate it, I'm like eating the skin off the chicken. Joe's like, are you fucking kidding? Like that is your piece now because you ate all the skin. Um, Well, thank you guys so much for being on here. I really sincerely appreciate it. And thank you for all the work you're doing and will continue to do from me and everyone else.
You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and friends pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.